Welcome to another edition of the SOAS Concert Series Behind the Music, our show dedicated to showcasing and promoting the unique and fabulous free concerts in the concert series at SOAS University. The next concert in the series will be taking place on Friday the 16th of January in the Brunei Gallery and will see London Sacred Harp take to the stage with their unique style of sacred singing. In the studio today, we're delighted to welcome Michael and Joe from the group to tell us more about London Sacred Harp. So welcome to you both. Hi. Hi. So why don't you start by just introducing yourselves and telling us a bit about your role in the group. I'm Michael Walker. I'm an expat American, been, have been living over here for quite a long time, since the mid-90s. And I found this music sort of serendipitously uh, about a decade ago. And there wasn't yet really any sacred harp singing in London itself. But the sacred harp singing existed in the UK and other places, but not in... In sort of within the M25, you can say. I've been a Londoner since I've been here, since 96. So I decided that it was time to start something in a serious way. And uh, I just had a vision that if I, you know, if I, if I built it, it would, it would happen. So, yeah, and it's been a tremendous success. The music has drawn people in. We regularly, we have a singing every week now, and we probably have as many as 30 to 40 regular singers in London. Wow. And many more who are occasional singers. And Joe, what about you? Um, yeah, I'm Joe Jones. I'm a tenor, Sacred Harp tenor. Uh, I've been singing about uh, just over two years. I came to a beginner's session. session. We um, Once a month we have a, a, a singing that's specifically to help beginners get into the music. Although I first heard it on something called the Harry Smith Folk Anthology um, when I was a teenager. I grew up Welsh Chapel, um, but I heard two songs from the Sacred Harp on on that anthology and it sounded amazing to me but it was a the recording I think was from 1927 so I just experienced it as something that had happened a long time ago something very very far away and that that was when I was a teenager teenager I'm 40 now and so I sort of filed it away and then uh, one day I came across something on Twitter I think um, and it just sort of twigged a thing in my head. I work for the uh, Church Times in a magazine called Third Way, and I thought it would be a thing I could write about. That's why I, why I first came. And then Michael invited me into the middle, what we call the hollow square. Mm-hmm. And my, my insides puddled a bit, and the world shifted on its axis, and I've been a Sacred Harp singer ever since. Wow, so it was really quite a journey for it you. It was, it was, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So why don't we kick off with a track? Um, Michael, what would you like to play for us? We would perhaps listen first to 77 on the top. This is called The Child of Grace. Tell us about it, Michael. This is a particularly memorable song for me because it, it's the first Sacred Harp song that I really remember distinctly hearing and perceiving us as something that drew me in and made me want to, desperately want to do this. When I first heard this music, it was so strange and almost frightening, uh, at the, but at the same time, obviously, very, very enticing. Very powerful. People are belting at the top of their lungs on all four voice parts. And because you have the men singing this descant part above the tune together with women, it gives it a strange kind of almost renaissance kind of sound. So to me, when I first heard it, it sound, I said, that sounds like, like hillbilly singing renaissance music. <laughs> and, and I come from the w- mountains of Western, music, uh, Western Virginia, and I love renaissance music. So I thought... 
I think this is made for me. I, I can't believe this. <laughs> it really captured your musical taste. I had never heard. I had never heard this, although I grew up in the American South, and and it's a miracle that it survived to the present day because it's not. It's completely not non-commercial. Right. What What do you mean by that? There are no real performance groups of sacred harp singing. Sacred harp singing is community singing, and its tradition is as sort of a quasi-religious devotional practice in um, small churches in out-of-the-way places in the American South. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and nowadays, it's spread all over the place, including here in Europe. And we've got a lot of people now in the UK that sing sacred harp. It's not necessarily certainly in Europe, is not necessarily associated uh, strongly with um, church practice or de devotional practice, but there are people who are religious who sing this music. It's, it's, we don't ask people for their religious IDs at the door. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. We've got plenty of people who are uh, atheists who sing sacred heart music. It's something that everyone can, you can take from it what you will, uh, of course, the lyrics are all Christian lyrics. Most of them are by the great um, English hymn writers Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley and, and John Newton. So it's some of the greatest poetry of that era, you know, religious poetry, obviously, but English. Mm -hmm. it's, and so it's, it sounds very majestic in terms of the texts. And the music is just like, this is so far from really from gospel and from Victorian music. There's nothing really sweet about a lot of it, it sounds kind of raw and folk, folky, and there's good reason for that. Uh, many of the origins of these tunes are, are folk tunes, or they might be something like an old English psalm tune that went over in colonial times to America, and that it's been harmon has been harmonized in, in, this, in this style. So the style of harmonization is uh, another chapter, and we don't have to get into that, but there's a, there's a lot you can talk about in Sacred okay. Heart. Okay, so your performance uh, at SOAS on Friday evening, are you approaching it as a performance? Will people go and kind of sit down and watch you, or will it be a bit more than that? Well, it, it will be more than that. So on, on Friday what we will do is, for the first hour, we will have a demonstration singing. So we will do what we always do, which is we have a community singing, you could say sort of a, like musical Quakerism. You the the leaders are called to stand up and lead a song and each individual who's called to lead gets a chance to lead a song that they choose uh, we don't do the same song in a day so if one person has used a song then you can't use it again uh, but the person who wants to sing the song or direct the song will uh, choose the tempo and and also the number of verses and things like that then the group sings it and then the next leader is called so on Friday, I will open with a couple of songs and give sort of an introduction about what this is. And then I'll hand it over to the group. The group, individual members of the group, will direct a song of, you know, each of them will direct a song of their choosing. And that's the first hour. And in the second hour, we have little booklets, which we will hand out to um, the members of the audience. And we will have a singing school to teach people who are there and who are willing to try to sing um, a, sacred harp, a sacred harp song or two. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we look forward to it, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we go to another track? Michael, what have you got for us this time? I'd like to uh, sort of introduce the style of singing to you by letting you hear something that I think is a really good example of uh, sacred harp style as it sounds today in a typical singing in the southern states in the U.S. I think that this track, the 573, which is... Uh, page 573 in the Sacred Harp uh, is uh, very heavily accented, so you hear strong pulse on the on the accented beats of the bar. You'll also hear the very sort of uh, dominant male treble voices that are the sort of a descant part, um, and they're sort of uh, almost yodeling above the tune. Uh, you'll be able to hear all of that and. Uh, you'll hear how rhythmic it is. It's it's a, a kind of singing that is, I think that it really is easy to distinguish from typical choral singing because typical choirs are uh, free in, in their rhythm. They, they, they may have phrasing and the rhythm might change. Sacred Harp is very, very strict rhythm and the rhythm is extremely powerful. So it, it has such a, a strong beat 
uh, which makes it it makes it uh, sound like no singing that you've really heard. It's, it's almost as if it has its own internal drum. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that's why I wanted to suggest 573. Great. Well, let's give it a listen. told us that's 573 from the Sacred Harp. Um, Joey, could you maybe tell us what, what is the Sacred Harp? Well, Sacred Harp essentially is a hymn book um, that's comprised in uh, four parts and is part of the shape note tradition. And the book was uh, constructed in 1844 um, as a means of teaching people who wanted to sing in their local church communities in harmony. And so the book is a non-denominational hymn book uh, full of shape note tunes that are uh, that that exist to help people to sing to take back to their churches was the original plan I think and sing in their own churches, so the the form comes uh, from the medium of a thing called a singing school, uh, and there were itinerant uh, singing teachers. Um, they started in New England, mm-hmm. and um, would uh, obviously they were trying to sell the books, and each of them would have their own books. Uh, they are doing singing schools. They're getting people to come and learn how to do harmony singing. And um, they, those events became uh, a thing in themselves, and it's those. It's the we have what we do now is the, the sort of ancestor of those events. So we sing all day, and they uh, sometimes take something of the form of a church service because the people at the singing school would generally be religious. And so we will start with a prayer and all day, and we will have something in the middle, which we call a lesson, a memorial lesson or second housebound lesson, which in a way you could call a mini sermon, but uh, and in between those uh, focus points in a in a in a day, we'll just take it in turns to sing songs from the Sacred Heart from the book. So has the book changed much in history at all? Yes, of course. It's it's been through, I don't know how many revisions, probably as many as eight or ten over the course of. Uh, of time since it was first published in 1844. It's never been out of publication. Nowadays, the book has undergoes a revision process about every 20 years. Uh, so this is the 1991 uh, version edition of The Sacred Heart. And it is not, it's probably likely we'll be seeing a new one within the next five to 10 years. There is a committee that will be appointed by the publishing uh, company, the Sacred Heart Publishing Company. And that committee is sort of the, they're the, the, the watch, watchman, the Académie Française of the Sacred Heart. They, they do look very carefully at submissions to see whether they are um, in line with the style of the book. So there was a time uh, about a hundred years ago when uh, sort of piano gospel choruses became very popular and 
there were many people who wanted to bring those into the Sacred Harp, and the committee in those days put its foot down and would not allow them into this book. They allowed one. There's only one such song, really, in this book, and it was uh, the... I believe it was the the wife of one of the committee members. <laughs> it's a little easier how to discover how they might take them out. We um, uh, we have an app. Every singer should say um, it gets written down the song that you led, and you can you can look at an app and see which songs you've led at, at different singings. But what that app also does is it records uh, which songs are very very rarely sung, the ones that people don't really like. So you you start to get a sense of the ones that might get dropped out in order to uh, be replaced by people who are writing shape not music today so the book kind of essentially remains the same size songs just kind of come in and out of it is that right yeah it sort of has reached a, a physical size that you wouldn't want to increase too much because we normally stand to lead the song holding the book with one hand so you can't have it be too heavy <laughs> or the little old ladies in Alabama <laughs> won't be able to hold their books while they're leading a song. Okay. Great. And you've been talking about shape notes. Can mm. you kind of just, for those of us who don't know, just explain a little bit what that what they are? Well, I guess the easiest way into that is to say that most people would be familiar with, for example, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. So people know that from the sound of music and stuff. That's a seven shape form. Uh, the sacred harp is uh, a four-shape form, uh, which goes back to, is related to tonic solfa. So we just have the four notes, uh, fa, sol, la, mi, and they repeat themselves. So a scale would be fa, sol, la, fa, sol, la, mi, fa, as opposed to do, re, mi, and all the way up. Okay. And so um, each of our parts, the four parts are bass, uh, tenor, that's sung by men and women in their own octave, alto, which is sung by women, and treble, which is sung by men and women in their own octave. So it's essentially six parts, but they're four written parts. And um, when you when you learn the method, which is a way of helping somebody who can't read music, like me, to sight read a tune, um, you can recognize intervals because of the different shape notes. You know that when you see a square note, you know that's a la, and you, and you know roughly in the scale that it's the low la rather than the high la. And, and that's how you construct a song and you can sing it without ever having seen it before and without being able to read music. So it's quite a unique kind of code of music. Mm. Yeah. What it does, for one thing, is it dispenses with the need for people to learn to read key signatures. Uh, so those two guys um, were correct. They, they developed a system of uh, shaped note heads. So they just took normal music notation and they gave uh, shapes to each of the degrees of the scale. And that's the Sacred Harp has carried through with that to the present day. And there are other books, like the Christian Harmony, which also uses shaped note heads and is related to this book. But the Christian Harmony is different because in around the time of the Civil War, it was becoming fashionable in America to go from this fa sol la, which is an older uh, scale, to the actual tonic sol fa, so do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's a seven-shape book. So the Christian harmony has many of the same songs, but it's in seven shapes. Okay. Yeah. And when we, um, when we sing a song, uh, every song that we sing, the first verse, if you like, is the shapes. So we will sing the tune to the sound of the shapes rather than the lyrics of the song. So you don't get the lyrics of the song until you've sung it through once. Right, okay. So could we maybe hear something from the Christian harmony book? Yeah. <coughs> I'd like to suggest the song... The Watchman's Call from the Christian Harmony.
So what's special about shape note singing? In, in shape note singing, uh, the priorities are certainly very different from the priorities in normal choral singing. So we don't uh, expect people to uh, come with beautiful voices necessarily to be able to sing, sing uh, immediately in tune. Uh, I often say at the singing school, I don't care about what note you sing. Sing any note. Any note is fine. Just sing in time. The rhythm is more important than the actual note. Um, but obviously, ideally, you want people to be competent <laughs> and sing in tune and sing with, with each other. Uh, but it is very much a community event. It's community music making. Uh, it's a session. It's not, uh, it's not really a performance art at all. So we don't, we don't have a blend. Uh, you can have a class that has a few very strong singers in one part. And so all you're going to hear at that particular singing might be the alto. Or you'll hear a lot of bass or you'll hear, <laughs> you'll hear no treble because the treble is sick that day. That sort of thing can happen. Uh, so in Sacred Harp, we just go with it. We, we accept the makeup of any given class. Um, a friend of mine in America, I don't know whether this reference will mean anything, but a friend of mine in America said it's um, choral pickup basketball. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we should say, so we sit in a square, but it means that we're all singing at each other towards the middle, so which we call the hollow square. And one of the beautiful things, and this is why Sacred Harp is a thing you do rather than a thing you listen to, is because when you lead, you get to stand right in the middle with everybody singing right at you. And there's there's nothing, you know, that compares um, to, I mean, you can, so hopefully this music sounds good on the radio, but when you stand in the middle and all the parts are singing at you, you know, there's nothing like it. Wow. So people take turns at leading, is that right? Yeah. Um, so at an old day, you'd have um, what you call an arranging committee, uh, which is uh, so they you register at the start of a day and you, you let the arranging committee know whether you're happy to lead. Not everybody does. Uh, and then they will run through a list of names. And quite often they'll be familiar with uh, the kinds of songs that different people sing. So I like I like a plain tune, uh, a slow chordal music. And um, so I might be called fairly early in the day because that kind of music is easy to sing before you're warmed up there's not maybe too many high notes in it so it's a it's a good starter and then somebody who might like a fuguing tune a fast fuguing tune they're likely to be called after a potluck lunch because after lunch everybody's ready to go and you're gearing up and the speed's <laughs> going and there's a bit more sort of foot stomping that kind of thing everybody in the class gets pull, pulled out at a different point in the day everybody wants to lead gets to lead unless you know maybe there are some huge singing in the states huge singings in the states where people don't always get to lead but in the UK if you want to lead you'll get you'll get your turn in the middle and it's that it's that real kind of tightrope balance between you're, st you're still in the middle which uh, certainly for a, a beginner for me for a long time was a very nervous place to be you know everybody's looking at you you're conducting the whole class leading the class you shouldn't say conducting and um, so you're, you're, you're very nervous and you want to do it right but at the same time you're also in the most exalted spot in the whole building you know so that's <laughs> you, that these two things are going on at the same time you want to get it right but also it's the place to enjoy it most of all so, so, uh, so Joe you're leading a session today what would you start with? I would start, I pretty much uh, always would start actually in the morning with something like 49 in the Top, which is uh, a, a tune that will be well known uh, to American singers. It's called Old Hundred, um, but there are, there are hymn tunes to that. It's, uh, it's slow, it's sedate. And when you're leading, you get to dictate the pace of the song. Okay. And so I would do this very slowly. I like I like it very, very slow. So at the start of the day, something very, very nice and slow. And you can that means that all those chords, they just last a little bit longer in the middle. And you sort of there's something there's something for me. Um, uh, we, well, hopefully your listeners will hear too that uh, that song. That's uh, that, that's uh, that's a very moving one for me. Great. Well, let's let's take a listen. Uh
they do. Old Hundreds is a much older tune, is that right? Yeah, I mean, they, uh, I had heard that tune before in, in lots of different places. I'd sung it in chapel. I'd um, heard that it was uh, one of those songs in the States is resonant with people. I think maybe it's even sung in schools and stuff. And I, I think you have a version by the uh, John Philip Sousa band, um, which is... Um, very very old recording I think from 1899 but the song which Michael will be able to tell you about is actually a lot lot older than that yeah the uh, old hundredth is uh, actually an early Protestant sort of Renaissance psalm tune uh, from Europe which came to America with the earliest colonists probably with the pilgrims and has certainly been sung in America since colonial times I grew up singing it in church every Sunday, actually. Okay. Uh, so it, it is a very, very well-known tune, and it's, uh, it's ancient. And we have songs like that in this book. Great. Well, why don't we have a listen to Caesar's version, just to hear something a bit different? your personal kind of relationship with Sacred Heart music? Well, I first heard it on the Harry Smith Folk Anthology. Um, I was a teenager, and there were a couple of songs on there from, I think, the 1927 Alabama National Convention, Sacred Heart. And I listened to it, and it had something... I was getting into a, a lot of punk rock, things with a lot of attack in it, you know, sort of... Um, ballsy and raw and this really old time it sounded really old uh, had some of that quality of attack um, but, I, but I heard it and I, I couldn't do any more than think that was this was before the internet I'm that old it was uh, but I, so I, it just struck me as a thing that I liked but it happened a long time ago and a long way away so I just kind of uh, filed it away uh, really I was singing hymns uh, as well as the other, so I was on the one half. Uh, one half of me was kind of punk rock, and the other half was chapel hymn singing. Um, and I grew up singing hymns. And I, the, the Welsh tradition is, uh, you know, we sing in chap uh, in the harp. And when I moved to England, you know, people, the English. I really like the English, right? They're they're witty and urbane, and but. You guys in church, you just don't sing, right? You, you, if they're singing in a church, then you, you stick them up in a choir in the end, and they sing very nicely and very sweetly. But you, you're in a congregation, you're, you're not really part of that. And um, when I, when I first came to Sacred Heart, I think I saw on Twitter that I, this, 
this form of music which flagged in me then when I was a teenager I thought I, I, I remembered it and I could write about it maybe um, and the first time I stood in the middle was the first time that I felt since I'd been back in Wales that I was among people who were really going for it you know like throwing your head back and belting the thing out because you can't there sacred harp has no dynamics right the dynamic is loud just <laughs> do it loud like put everything into it and the only thing that matters is whether or not you've still got anything left at the end of the day in fact if you have you probably haven't been doing it well enough you know? <laughs> so, the, um, so uh yeah i um i know i bought you i think uh um a recording from of a tune that we sing in the sacred harp from manchester manchester cathedral and it's lovely you know it's sweet it's pleasant the tune is you know, it's a nice tune, but I think if we if we play that one and then we play the version that we sing in the Sacred Harp, for me, the difference, the thing that I like in that music and, you know, people like all sorts of things. The thing that I like is that it's um, ballsy, it's throw your head back, it's like belted out, it's... Um, you're not, you, you know, it's not screaming. It's not like, but it has the energy of punk rock. It has the full embodied experience of punk rock allied to this thing, which also mattered to me, which was that I was singing a music that had meaning and richness and uh, lyrical integrity. There's not, there's a lot of stuff in the, uh, in the Sacred Harp that is a theology that's not mine. It's an old, very sort of Calvinist, very kind of, um, the the God in the Sacred Harp is in some ways like the God I grew up with in chapel. He's kind of very keen on telling you what you're doing wrong. So there is a lot of that in the Sacred Harp. That's not my theology anymore. But when it speaks of grace and when it speaks of compassion and love and the fellowship of humankind, then it's some all those things come together, but done in this sort of full on punk rock way. And that's that's what it does for me. Great, well, let's take a listen to the two tracks.
track that maybe tells us a bit more about the history of Sacred Heart music. So 111 on the bottom is a song called To Die No More, uh, or the tune is called To Die No More, and it's uh, set to words by Isaac Watts. But the tune itself is kind of fascinating. So if you are a music geek, you would notice immediately about that tune that it's pentatonic. So the tune, and I believe actually all the parts, only use the five-tone scale. Okay. So that's a hint already that we're dealing with folk music rather than um, any kind of cult- cultivated or composed, composed music. So where does it come from? Well, research has been done on that particular tune and on many tunes in the book, and it appears to be a remnant of uh, a medieval ballad called The Three Ravens, and it came from this country. And who knows how it eventually ended up in America uh, and how it ended up as a sacred harp song, but it still is recognizable, and there are lots of songs like that in the book. You can, you can almost smell them. If, you, if you've sung, a, some, sung them for a while, you can tell, aha, we're dealing with a sh- sea shanty here. We're dealing with um, some kind of ballad. We have quite a few of those in these books. And that's one of the things I would say is characteristic about the Sacred Harp is that it uses choral settings of folk. It sort of is like the American backwoods version of Rafe von Williams, who used lots of English folk music in choral settings. It's very much like that. So that's what we have is in the Sacred Harp and in the Christian Harmony is lots of beautiful folk tunes that are ancient. Uh, and you can't really identify where they come from, um, and they're set in this style. My um, my favorite uh, example of that is uh, we have a song three three four oh come away, which uh, started life as a German drinking song. <laughs> in the Sacred Harp, it becomes a temperance song about the evils of alcohol, which these days we sing in the pub with a beer in our hands. So <laughs> it's uh, another kind of a route that this stuff takes. Lovely layer of irony. In that. <laughs> Um, so why don't we take it back and have a listen? So that track is special to me because I recorded that myself in a singing in a little uh, church in very rural western Alabama at a singing two years ago. And what you hear there is the real sort of southern sacred harp. I think I probably was the only person who was not from the local area um, (laughs) in that singing. And it was a very big singing, over 100 people. It was a family reunion. uh, These singing families in Alabama and Georgia uh, it becomes a tradition within families to be sacred harp singers and participate in these things. So their family reunion turns into a singing, and mm. that's what they that's what they do there. Um, and it was just a fantastic, fantastic singing, one of the best I've been to in ever, really. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, you said one eleven on the bottom. What does that mean? 
the songs are are uh, arranged on the page so that sometimes the song will be at the at the top of the page or at the bottom of the page, and so in Secret Harp uh, shorthand we say one eleven on the bottom to distinguish it from the song at the top of page one eleven. Okay, so it's as simple as that. Yeah. Nice. So London Sacred Harp, kind of who's in the group? Who are the people that sing in it? Oh, we have uh, we have uh, a wide mix. Um, we've got um, old folkies who, on the weekend, you can find them with a you know um, a banjo and a guitar down the folk club. <laughs> we have some religious people who'll be singing in church choirs on a Sunday morning. We have uh, you know is a big cluster of sort of twenty somethings who just love the sound. Uh, we have people who um, believe. You know, in a, in a kind of mainstream version of Christianity, we have liberals, we have complete atheists. It's uh, we have many more men than you would usually find in a group in a community singing group. In fact, I think there's probably more men in our group than there are women, yeah. uh, which is unusual, I think, in in, in community singing. And um, actually, there's something about the form, the way that we sing, because we sing at each other, we're looking at each other while we're singing. That. Uh, you know, there, there's been all sorts of studies, right, into singing together and how that makes you feel and people's heart rates start to go at the same time when their breathing is matching and you, you sort of feel a bond. But when you're when you're actually looking across the square at somebody, I have to tell you, my I saw my fiancé, first of all, across the square. Um, but, the, you know, you... I love the singing. I came for the singing. I would stay for the singing. But really, I sort of stay for the community of people that I've met, not just in London. We sing up and down the country, and we have very close ties with people up and down the country, and even over in the States, who they'll come over and sing. The way we eat, you know, we have uh, our all-day singings. We have a potluck lunch, so everybody brings uh, enough for them to eat. And if everybody brings enough for themselves to eat, then everybody gets fed with each other's food. We share. Um, And there's something about that that, it just feels closer to me than other kinds of singing that I've done. I've made really good friends in this in this group and um, uh, up and down the country. And uh, I think it's people. People talk about singing itself being good for you, and I'm sure that's true. But um, the reason that uh, I'm really stuck here is because of all the other people with whom I sing. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure after hearing all of this, many of our listeners will be interested to know how they can get involved. Can anyone turn up? Or Absolutely. Once a month, on the third Monday of every month, we have a, a beginner's session at St. George's Bloomsbury, and that is the old Georgian church there in Bloomsbury Way, right? Yeah, that's the, the third Monday of the month. We sing every week, and anybody would be welcome to any singing. Um, it's slightly complicated dates, but if people were to go to londonsacredharp.org, you'd find we sing we sing every week. The beginner's one is the third Monday, um, but you'd be very, very welcome. Uh, I, if I can put a special plea in for female tenors. You know, it's, we, we could do with a few more female tenors. So the beginner session is uh, geared to absolute beginners, and it specifically uh, is meant to be accessible to people who can't read music at all. Okay. So you, you, you don't have to have any knowledge at all to come to one of those. The other singings, you might be a little bit lost if you can't read music yet. Okay. But the community that Joe was talking about uh, is so welcoming that they will try to sort of divert you from that fact. And, and there's there's no fee, there's no membership charge, there's no annual subs. All we ask is for a, a really small contribution to the whatever venue we happen to be hiring that night. Um, so you absolutely don't need. And if you you know if you can't even manage that, then that's that's understood. Some of us can't every week. Um, so please don't let any of that put you off. You you'd be very very welcome. Brilliant. Well, why don't we play us out with a final track? What have you got for us, Michael? This is one of my very favorite shape note songs in any book. This comes from the Christian Harmony. Originally, it was in the Southern Harmony. Uh, It's harmonized by uh, two of my favorite composers from this genre, Chapin and Walker. And uh, it's very, very beautiful. Uh, Rock Bridge is the name of the tune. This is a recording of us singing it at St. George's Bloomsbury.
listening to Soas Concert Series Behind the Music with very special guests Michael and Joe from London Sacred Harp, who will be performing in the Brunei Gallery at Soas University on Friday the 16th of January starting at 7pm. For more information about the group, you can visit the website at londonsacredharp.org. <laughs> 